millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Coming up on DTNS, why Colonial Pipeline paid the $4.4 million ransom to Darkside, the scoop on Atlanta's godfather of tech, and why you might just want to digitally record your loved ones right now. This is the Daily Tech News for Wednesday, May 19th, 2021 in Los Angeles. I'm Tom Merritt. And from Studio Redwood, I'm Sarah Lane. In Salt Lake City, I'm Scott Johnson. And I'm the show's producer, Roger Chen. We were just talking about electricity. We were having an electric conversation about Sarah's generator on Good Day Internet. If you want that wider conversation, become a member. Patreon.com slash DTNS. Let's start with a few tech things you should know. Google's experimenting with a follow button in its Chrome browser that acts like an RS reader of sorts for websites. So if a user follows or subscribes to a website that uses RSS, new content from that publisher will appear in the new tab page as part of a following category that includes cover images, headlines, publishing timestamps, etc. Chrome already has a For You feature, which is topic-based, but a follow lets a user actively choose which sites they want to see. Although no word on when this experiment might become a standard Chrome feature. Oh, and then they could let you uh, categorize them by topics, and then you got Google Reader back. Friends, it won't be long now, so say your goodbyes, because Microsoft will officially retire Internet Explorer on June 15th, 2022. You've got just more than a year. On on that day, uh, I said I wouldn't do this. I.e. <laughs> will go out of support. Gone. Gone. Unless you're a customer of the long-term servicing channel. You'll start to notice it slipping away this year on August 17th when I.E. will no longer be supported for online services like Office 365 and OneDrive. So prepare yourselves. But remember, a little part of I.E. will continue to live on in I.E. mode in Microsoft Edge. <laughs> India wrote a letter to WhatsApp asking it to withdraw its newly ruled out privacy policy, which, according to the Ministry of Electronics and Information Technology, or Métis, violates several laws and rules. Métis gave WhatsApp seven days to respond, and it added that if the response from WhatsApp was not satisfactory, the government could take lawful actions against both WhatsApp and parent company Facebook. I guess if they didn't want to dispute it, they could just say, aye, Métis. Mm, Yep. Wow. 
Qualcomm announced the new Snapdragon 778G 5G mobile chip featuring a Cryo 670 CPU and an Adreno 642L GPU with Qualcomm claiming it gets 40% better CPU performance and 40% faster graphics rendering compared to the previous gen, uh, supporting sub 6 gigahertz and millimeter wave 5G thanks to its Snapdragon X53 5G modem. The new chip will be used by a large number of smartphone makers. You're going to find it in phones from Motorola, Oppo, Realme, Xiaomi, Honor, and more. IFA Berlin is canceled for 2021 with the organizers citing the emergency of COVID-19 variants and concerns around the speed and consistency from which vaccines have been rolled out globally as the main causes. The event was initially planned for September 3rd at the Messe Berlin Convention Center, which continues to be used as an emergency medical facility and a vaccination center. All right, let's talk about that Colonial Pipeline uh, uh, ransomware. It, they have admitted that, yes, they did pay the ransom Almost immediately. The Wall Street Journal talked to the CEO of Colonial Pipeline, Joseph Blunt, who, by the way, says, we liked no one knowing who we were uh, back then. He says that at one point in the article, which I I found uh, rather sad. Uh, But Blunt was talking to Wall Street Journal about why the company authorized the payment of $4.4 million. You've heard it described as five, but if you're rounding, it would just be four. $4.4 million to attempt to resolve the ransomware that infected its business systems. The ransom notice was first discovered at 5.30 a.m. May 7th on a control room computer, which caused some concern. It wasn't in the control system, but it was on one of the business system computers in the control room. And Blunt became aware of it within a half hour. Uh, everybody got on the phone, started calling everybody else. He was, it was six in the morning. He was he wasn't even at work yet, uh, and and he got the call. So they shut the pipeline down as a precaution. Uh, they sent out about 300 employees to start inspecting the pipeline uh, to augment the sensors they already had, just to take an extra look. And other employees were advised not to log into the corporate network. The FBI and the CISA here in the U.S. were notified. The company did not know how extensive the breach was or how long it would take to come back online without paying. Now, standard recommendations from security professionals, including the U.S. FBI, is not to pay because that supports the criminals and encourages more attacks. Blunt says he consulted with his own set of experts, who he says are experts on Darkside itself, and the organization uh, believed it was best to go ahead and pay. He did not say who those experts were, though. Blunt did tell the Wall Street Journal, quote, I know that's a highly controversial decision. I didn't make it lightly. I will admit that I wasn't comfortable seeing money go out the door to people like this, but it was the right thing to do for the country. Or at least it felt that way at the time, I guess, because a payment was made in Bitcoin on May 7th and Colonial received a decryption tool to unlock any systems encrypted by the malware. However... The tool only worked in part and did not fully restore systems. In fact, it still hasn't fully restored systems. They turned the pipeline back up because they felt comfortable that it wasn't going to spread anymore. But the billing system still is not working, according to Blunt. There was a lot of scuttlebutt out there that maybe maybe they were keeping the pipeline shut down because the billing system was down and they, they didn't want to send fuel without the billing system being down. But the billing system is still down and they, they have turned it back on. Colonial estimates full restoration of all of its IT systems will take months and cost them tens of millions of dollars. So I I guess one wonders if it was worth the $4.4 million at all when it's going to take that long and that much work. But maybe it sped it along enough that they feel like it was worth it. I don't know. 
Yeah, what an intense thing. I mean, the entire finding out that they went ahead and just paid that was a little bit of a shock to me because I've never really met even individuals who paid off ransomware. And I know plenty of people who were hit in that way, but none of them that I know of paid. They found other ways around or they got IT involved or whatever they had to do to do what they had to do. But I guess I understand his position. I just, I just, it blew me away. Like, I guess I'm not really judging it one direction or the other. I just, I was a little bit aghast that they just said, oh, okay, here you go. Also treating that as if it's a transaction between a customer and a provider of some sort is an odd thing too. Like you said, not everything's back up. It didn't only worked in part uh, their end of the deal, but we're dealing with people who's <laughs> are holding you hostage. Like, what did we expect that yeah. mint on our pillow? Like, I don't know. That whole thing <laughs> is just, it feels like there's a movie under there somewhere. We're probably going to get it one day and that'll be interesting. So. I feel the same way, Scott. It's, you know, you think to yourself, okay, well, Blunt and the Colonial Pipeline Company is like, okay, we got to scramble here. How bad is this? And is it going to get a lot worse if we don't play ball, you know, with the people who are asking for, for this money? And so I, I understand the decision, but at the, you, you have to assume it's like, we're just going to hope that they give us back some power that they've since, you know, that, that, that they're holding hostage and you don't know them. This is criminal activity. There is no reason at all to believe that everything goes back to normal. If you can just cough up these millions of dollars and turns out that, yeah, I mean, they're back on track somewhat, but there's still a lot of work to be done and they didn't get the system back as it was previously. So this whole thing is like, sure, pay the ransom if you really feel like you have no other choice, but what a mess. I mean, that that's the way people are going to think about it now. Uh, if you are Darkside, which Darkside runs a very professional service-oriented ransomware business. They prided themselves, <laughs> Scott, in providing yeah. good customers. You were joking, joking, but that was Darkside's thing. was like, yeah, we're, you're, we'll, we'll have a chat open to help you restore your stuff. This is a bad thing for people who do ransomware. Ransomware people don't want you to pay and then their stuff keeps getting locked up because that will further the narrative of don't pay them. What ransomware people want, especially sophisticated organizations like Darkside, is you pay and then everything is solved and it goes away and you don't pay any more attention. Colonial Pipeline doesn't get shut down and the news goes away. So it's actually against the ransomware operator's interests for it not to work because now the story is what Sarah was saying, which is like, why would you pay the ransom? It's not even going to work anyway. Look what happened to Colonial Pipeline. And that's that's bad for the ransomware folks. I, I suppose it's it's good in general for, for criminal activity to be reduced potentially. We'll see. That's oh, so skeevy. Everything that you just said, it's just like, you're right. You're 100% right about all of it. And I'm glad they're running a ship shape deal over there. But <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah. I don't know. It's so weird. Uh, researchers from uh, blockchain well, analysis firm Elliptic estimated that the dark side ransomware gang has made more than $90 million from ransomware payments from its victims since October 2020. Average payment was around $1.9 million. So the $4.4 million was quite high. Uh, the researchers examined the Bitcoin wallets used by dark side to receive ransom payments from victims over the past nine months and determine how ransom money got cashed out. Of course, those accounts have now been drained. So Darkseid doesn't have any of that money now. Well, they don't call him Darkseid for nothing. Uh, he's also a really great villain in the DC universe. Anyway, moving on. Speaking of DC, owned by uh, Warner Brothers and HBO, let's talk about them. Warner Media announced that an ad-supported version of HBO Max will launch in the first week of June for $9.99 a month. 
Ads will not run against HBO original programming, though. Only Max Originals and other content. I still have some questions about that. We'll get to that in a second. The cheaper ad-supported version won't get the day-and-date movie releases that HBO Max gets for $14.99 a month, what you're all getting now if you're buying the service. But all the same content will still be there. Even at $9.99 a month, HBO Max is more expensive than similar ad-supported offerings from Hulu, Paramount Plus, and others, which cost $5.99 or Peacock, which is either free or $4.99 with ads. Uh, or I guess that's without ads, right? That takes ads out, the $4.99, I would assume? Anyway. No, $4.99 with ads. You oh, pay, you pay $9.99 for no ads on Peacock. So there's a gotcha. free Peacock that's limited content with ads, $4.99, all the content with ads, and then $9.99, gotcha. no ads. All right. Well, Peacock and I haven't been very good friends. But anyway, the point is, uh, back, to, back to this whole day and date thing, and uh, well, mostly about the, the way that the commercials are going to work. I was saying pre-show that I don't like the idea of content that was constructed to not have natural com- uh, commercial breaks are going to be super annoying in this in this way. And I still feel that way about some of these Max originals because some of those are also not formatted to have natural breaking points they like are. you would commercial TV. They are, formatted. So, they are formatted for breaks. Some aren't, though. I've are, seen stuff. Like, I don't know. Um, I'm definitely, like, uh, the, the, the flight attendant uh, definitely, like, stopped down for a quick pause and came right back. You'd almost not notice it, but I'm like, oh, that's where an ad break will go. Yeah, I guess uh, and, I'd have to see. They do that see. for two reasons. One is they probably knew this was coming, but also they want to be able to take those Max Originals and air them on TNT and Turner, which they announced they're going to do. They're going to take a bunch of those Max Originals and air them on broadcast TV. So I, I think they yeah. all have them in there. You just may not have noticed it. Maybe I didn't notice, and maybe that's to their credit. Like what Raised by Wolves was one that I thought didn't seem like it had very good breaks. But anyway, it is still a premium compared to other services, and I think that's just kind of our expectation for HBO. You know, they, I think they know that people will pay for a premium cable, you know, high-end content sort of experience, and they're probably right. I mean, I'm already paying 15 and probably will still, so. Yeah, but I think that there are there are the people who say, 15? What? I mean, Peacock is, you know, four ninety nine for ads, so nine ninety nine little psychological there but that makes a lot more sense and if you are used to ads if you're subscribed to hulu for example and you're like eh, not the end of the world i mean a lot of people do that with with podcasts as well with all sorts of content it's like you you feel like you're saving a lot if you really want that content and you get the benefit of hbo original programming is exempt and i don't know i i i know that the the conversation is always like, well, how much is too much? You know, at what point does HBO Max or any of these services turn the consumer off? Well, make the consumer turn them off by by you know re- keeping the price point just slightly too high. And I don't think anyone totally knows what the sweet spot is. I know that Disney Plus is always it's kind of the barometer because it's like, well, Disney Plus, that's doing pretty well. I know they missed their numbers slightly in the last earnings report, but, you know, pretty, pretty, pretty a great success out of the gate. And obviously that has a lot to do with the content that's on Disney Plus. But something like HBO can get away with a little bit more because it's the cachet of, you know, HBO, you know, exclusive movies and really hot TV shows you can't find anywhere else. Yeah, if you're out there saying like, well, I would never pay 9.99 a month for something with ads, uh then 
that's fine. You won't. That's not the same thing as saying no one will, and this is not going to be successful. Uh, everyone thought fourteen ninety nine a month was too much for HBO Max compared to seven ninety nine for a no ads version of Disney Plus, which I think was six ninety nine when HBO Max launched. But HBO alone was $14.99 a month, even with your cable package in a lot of cases, which is why they had to price it at $14.99. So if you're wanting to keep HBO Max, but you can't afford $15 a month, you might be able to afford $10 a month. We'll, we'll see how many people do that, or they might not care. Jason Kalar was saying in the announcement of this, he's like, we make the same amount of money whether there's an ad-supported subscriber or a non-ad-supported subscriber. So they don't care they just want to be able to expand that tent to people who are like, I don't have 15, but I might be able to swing 10 because I really want to watch that content. That's what they're banking mm-hmm. on. Well, we are very happy to have Nika Montford from SnubOS back with us for another edition of Teching While Black, where she highlights innovative voices in the black community. Take it away, Nika. Hi, this is Nika Montford, a.k.a. Tech Savvy Diva of the SnubOS show. In the Teching While Black segment, I will bring awareness to a Black technology leader who is advancing the tech community through their innovations across the spectrum of industries. Today in Teching While Black, let's highlight Atlanta's godfather of tech, Dr. Paul Judge, entrepreneur, investor, inventor. As an entrepreneur, he is the co-founder and partner of TechSquare Labs co-founder and executive chairman of Pindrop, partner of AC3, Atlanta's hip-hop-centric music festival, and partner of Judge Ventures. As an investor between both TechSquare Labs and Judge Ventures, Paul has invested in over 60 technology startups. Let's say that again, over 60 technology startups. Also, He was either a founder and or CTO of multiple companies, including Luma Home, a now-acquired consumer Wi-Fi company, PureWire, a now-acquired leading web security company, and CypherTrust, a now-acquired leader in email security company. As an inventor, he holds approximately 30 patented or patent-pending technologies all in the computer security space. That's a lot. Let me take a quick breather before we go on. Okay, let's keep going. In addition to being an entrepreneur, investor, and inventor, he is a noted speaker and scholar. Having given talks at events such as Platform 2014 and writings in both TechCrunch and Pando Daily. Most recently, he was a commencement speaker for the Georgia Institute of Technology's Class of 2021 Ceremony, where he is a two-time alumnus holding a master's in network security and a PhD in cybersecurity. Cough, cough. Fellow Georgia Tech alum here. Yellow Jackets, stand up. Paul is a fierce advocate of cultivating the tech talent and bridging the gap between founders and inventors in Atlanta which has been made abundantly clear based on his involvement in the startup culture. All which have earned him the moniker as Atlanta's godfather of tech. To find out more about Paul and his innovative work, be sure to check him out on Twitter at Paul Judge or on his website, 
pjudge.com. History is being made in real time every single day. So let's celebrate it now. When we are aware of all innovative voices, especially those in underrepresented groups, the tech community thrives. Be sure to tune into the next Tech and Wall Black, where we highlight a Black tech innovator from around the globe. Thank you, Nika, for do- introducing us to Dr. Paul Judge. We look forward to next month's segment as well. You can hear Nika every week on SnobOS at snoboscast.com. Hey, folks, don't forget, if you want an ad-free version of DTNS, uh, support us on Patreon. Get your own personal RSS feed supported directly by you. Find out more at dailytechnewsshow.com slash Patreon. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. Like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on LinkedIn.com slash people today. The Claude 3 model family from Anthropic is your one-stop shop for enterprise AI. With models at every point on the price performance curve, you no longer have to make trade-offs between intelligence, speed, and cost. Claude 3 Opus sets new industry benchmarks for intelligence. Sonnet strikes the perfect balance between skills and speed. And Haiku is the fastest and lowest cost model on the market, perfectly designed for high-volume, high-speed use cases. Join the thousands of enterprises who trust Anthropic to keep them at the frontier. Visit anthropic.com slash Claude today. My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then... Stripe Tap to Pay on iPhone came along and changed everything. With Stripe, I streamlined my payment process effortlessly. No more juggling different methods. Just a simple tap on my iPhone and transactions are complete. What's truly remarkable is how Stripe caters to all my customers' preferences. Whether they're using cards, Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, Stripe ensures a smooth checkout experience every time. Setting up Stripe was a breeze, taking just minutes to get up and running. From local markets to global retailers, Stripe helped me expand my reach and grow my business with ease. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone. First, Bitcoin always goes in cycles, so it's always going to have a downturn no matter what happens. Then... You get Tesla adding and then pulling support for Bitcoin, Elon Musk making jokes about it and Dogecoin on Saturday Night Live, then implying on Twitter that maybe I'll sell all this Bitcoin, but maybe not. None of that's going to fuel a surge. However, Tuesday, the National Internet Finance Association of China, the China Banking Association, and the Payment and Clearing Association of China all issued a warning that consumers would get no protection from losses related to cryptocurrency investment transactions, and financial and payment institutions are advised not to use virtual currency for most purposes. You'll see this being called a ban because it's essentially the same as if you're like, you really shouldn't do this 
because it's, you know, you're not going to get uh, any of our support. And these are major organizations. It's just short of a ban and is effectively going to end up being as if there was a ban. And that's important because about three quarters of Bitcoin mining happens in China. So if you're mining all that Bitcoin and suddenly you can't use it for anything inside your own country, doesn't mean you can't make money off it at all, but it makes it more difficult. So this is the straw that broke the Bitcoin camel's back. Wednesday, the price of Bitcoin fell below $34,000 for the first time in three months. Other currencies like Ethereum, Dogecoin, and more dropped as well. Uh, And CoinMarketCap estimates the entire crypto market shrank by 20% between Tuesday and Wednesday. Now, it it has come back since then uh, to be a more... Well, it was 17% earlier. It's 19% at recording. This is why we don't like covering these kinds of things because it changes from minute to minute. Uh, But it's a big drop. And we normally wouldn't cover these kind of fluctuations, except that everybody was talking about this, I I guess, because it was so high and and it had been starting to get more attention. Well, my uh, welcome to a new segment called Scott's Uninformed uh, Commentary on Bitcoin. But I'm going to make a, a, a statement here that maybe I don't know if it's controversial or not. Um, we are to the point, as you illustrated well, that Bitcoin is no longer just a weird side thing that we can sort of ignore, but also it's interesting and fun to pay attention to. But now it's like a bigger part of the bigger financial discussion, and it will probably continue to be so as a result. When people like Elon Musk or anybody else heavily invested in that world says anything, these fluctuations seem to just come crashing up or down, whatever direction. So the minute somebody says, ah, yeah, Bitcoin's awesome, and they're in a position of serious influence, the whole world goes, and it happens so quickly and so fast, and those fluctuations happen so fast that you're just kind of blindsided by it. I don't know if that's sustainable. So my commentary is, this concerns me <laughs> that the, the, if this is truly the future, if cryptocurrency is the future of the financial backbone of the world, then my gosh, we got to figure out a way to make it a little less volatile. If somebody's in a bad mood and leaves a tweet that makes everybody go oh, crap or a company says uh, we can't take Bitcoin anymore, even though we really championed it in the beginning and have everybody panic like this. There's that in the regular financial market. There's always panic. They're all unsustainable. Yeah, I, I, I see a lot of, I am very much an observer. Uh, I am, I don't, I don't dabble a lot, but I know a lot of people who do. And I, you know, one of my big takeaways is I'm very risk averse. So I, again, I'm, I'm happy on the sidelines for now, for the most part, but I see so many folks saying the tools are easier than ever. It's the future. I want to be part of this wave. It's get rich quick. But it's different. It's not a Ponzi scheme. It's different. You know, th- this time we're going to figure it out. And, you know, the, the 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 folks who were left out of, you know, stock market and Wall Street and money and banks and all of that stuff, you know, this is, this is a, a new era. And a lot of that is fluff. And some of that is true. And I think that this, you know, these wide fluctuations are just inevitable when anything is sort of new and exciting and confusing. What I what what I hate are, you know, hearing this sort of like this is this is going to be the answer for all of the folks who have been held down, you know, by by the small amount of people who had all of the wealth in the past and now we have these so much more accessibility and tools to be able to yeah, level the playing field. And then you have exchanges that go down for hours, sometimes days at a time because they can't handle all of the massive traffic, good 
good and bad. And it's such a, it's such a mess and people do lose real money. I mean, this isn't like, you're not playing a game here. It's, 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 it's all very real. And so the memification of it, if that's even a word, I think it is, is it's troubling to me because it's like, this is only funny to a point. I mean, sure. If you have some money to burn, you know, throw in the garbage, have, have as much fun as you want. But, uh, but, but yeah, it's, uh, it's it's sort of it's going to be a roller coaster for the foreseeable future. I don't know any other way around it. Don't believe the hype, and this will all make much more sense, everybody out there. Uh, this is this is mm. something where uh, y- you have to not look at all of the things that Sarah and Scott have been referencing, and not that they shouldn't have been referencing them. Those those are real things out there, right? But if you ignore all that, ignore all the people saying this is the future, ignore all the people saying this is the end or this is stupid, Bitcoin makes a lot more sense. Uh, I look at Bitcoin as like, oh, it's this interesting thing that's sort of finding its feet and figuring out what it's good for. It's probably never going to be a currency. So the criticisms were people like, yeah, but when when can I go down to the corner store and, and buy something with it? I'm like, you never will. You probably never will. That's really not what it's for. It's a store of value. It's a commodity, probably. That seems to be where it's going. And what it's, what's happening this time is less dramatic than what happened the last time it crashed. Uh, the, you know, three or four years ago, it went up to 20,000 and everybody thought, oh my gosh, it's, it's hitting the sky. And then it crashed back down well, way down, like, like more like four or 5,000. So this is just another cycle. And it's honestly a little bit of a less dramatic cycle with a lot more tension and hype around it than the last crash. So I from where I sit, I look at this as like, oh, Bitcoin's growing up. Bitcoin's maturing. Not there yet, uh, but it's, you know, starting to learn how to ride a wave instead of just go, you know, sky high uh, and then crash. So I, I actually am weirdly made optimistic by this. I'm 100% with you, Sarah, that this is not something for people to play around with. This is not a way for you to get rich quick easily. You might luck into it, uh, but this is yeah. this is not a safe thing to, to, to toy around with unless you've got money to lose. I agree with you about the hype thing real quick. Do you think it's possible that the reason it feels a little more intense this time, even though it's less losses, is because there's more people who have a stake now? than there were four years ago? Because it does feel like not that's true. Stake. More people have I would money. say not a stake because it doesn't feel more intense to me. I'd say the intensity comes from more coverage. I get you. More, All right. You know, when, th- when two people are talking about something, it's interesting. When three people are talking, it's a lot of people talking. When four people are talking, it's a trend. But it only has to be four people. So, know. you know, we got a lot more people talking about it. That's, that's where I sit. Well, talking about a whole different thing, Idrissa Simmons has an article out on Wired called The Mother, or excuse me, My Mother is Gone, But Her Digital Voice Helps Keep Me Well. Uh, Three years ago, a few months before her mother died of colon cancer, she recorded a conversation between her mother and aunt. Uh, During lockdown this last year, uh, she started using the recordings as her alarm sound and for things throughout the day, so different tasks or whatever. Simmons notes that a 2020 uh, study published in PLOS One found that uh, melodic sounds made people more alert after waking to an alarm. Uh, She's taken to using other recordings as alarms, including singing happy birthday to her nieces and recordings of her children talking to each other and so on. I think this is so cool, and it makes me happy that I've got audio ranging from when I was two and my dad recorded me on an old tape recorder to me recording my kids when they were little and pretty soon here doing an interview with my 82-year-old mother, um, I, I, you know, the, the therapeutic effects 
of that weren't necessarily known, but this seems like a very interesting look at that side of it. And also, I, I know more than a couple people who have had loved ones that, uh, you know, have died or for some other reason they can't talk to anymore. And they will go back to voicemails and just listen to them. And I go, like, I can't even believe you saved it. Well, you know, I did. And this is something that I, I, I return to for comfort. But that's sort of a different context, right? You go and you kind of listen to whatever it was that the voicemail was about. But I get it. And I, I actually, frankly, wish I had a lot more of those for some people in my life as well. But I do have old recordings, and I actually use uh, audio cues for certain alarms that I set for myself during the day. With Amazon's assistant, she sometimes says things to me, you know, and it's she's telling me to do something or to remember to do something. And if I could actually customize it that much more to hear a voice that would fill me with joy or soothe me or otherwise just... I don't know, be kind of weird yet positive. I would totally do that. Yeah, sure. I'm, 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 I'm pretty jealous uh, of, of people now uh, because most of my older family is gone. Uh, my mom's still alive, but otherwise it's all brothers, sisters, cousins. Uh, aunts and uncles are almost all, yeah, they're all gone except for one. Uh, so there's not a chance for me to do this. I have a, a cassette recording of my dad doing a, a talk on evaporated milk. Uh, not the most personal <laughs> situation, but even just digitizing that and listening to it a couple of years ago, I was like, oh man, it's just so great to hear his voice again. So yeah, I, th I think this is fantastic as far as like, hey, take advantage of this and think about what you can use it for. And I thought it was fascinating that she was using it as an alarm to promote her own wellness, uh, where she was trying to remind herself to eat better and exercise and things like that. And having her mom's voice being the thing that was the alarm meant when the alarm went off, it was a positive for her. Yeah, it's like a good you know? trigger. Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And not to, not to get all forecasty here, but it feels like there's a future where we can take some of this accumulated content, audio in this case, of family members, and replace our digital assistants with modulated versions of the way that they spoke. And it may be, some may find that creepy. I don't know. Like the photos you saw on heritage.com recently where uh, a, a passed away relative would come to life again and their eyes would move and they would smile and kind of be in a little bit of a pseudo 3D. Uh, there's a lot of comfort for a lot of people in that sort of thing. So if we can also find that there's, you know, therapeutic reasons why this is helpful, I could see a future where we get to choose who talks to us and maybe it's my mom and yeah. not some random lady at Amazon to be okay. <laughs> hey mom, it, it, it turns on your, your smart speaker. <laughs> Yeah. All right, let's check out the mailbag, Sarah. What do we got in there today? We got an email from Christos. This is a conversation we had a few days ago uh, with Jen Cutter about replacing CAPTCHAs and the idea that a physical key was something that Cloudflare was looking into. Christos says, as a totally blind user, since the mid-80s, CAPTCHAs have always been a problem for screen reader software. Yes, it would be a great day the day that they were are replaced or better yet killed off. I get why they exist. Yes, there are audio solutions for entering CAPTCHAs. However, these have a high failure rate since you can usually only play the audio version once, and many of them were created with a light background noise value, which makes them non-usable. Yeah, I, I, I think CAPTCHAs uh, may have been a necessary evil at one point, uh, but hopefully we're getting to a, a situation where they aren't as necessary and they don't have to be evil. That'd be great. 
Yeah. If you have, uh, and thank you, Christos, by the way, uh, it's always great to hear from somebody who's like, this is a situation that I have with captures and I look forward to a better solution. So it makes a lot of sense. If you have feedback for us, you have anecdotes, you have questions, you have comments, feedback at dailytechnewsshow.com is where to send that email. Shout out to patrons at our master and grandmaster levels. Today, they include John and Becky Johnston, Chris Benito, and Dan Kolbeck. Also, thank you to our brand new boss. You know who you are, but we're going to call you out anyway. Matt McConnell just started backing us on Patreon. So thank you, Matt. You're already a very excellent boss. I don't know thank how you, you do it. Yeah. Yeah. We, yeah. we know we need more Matts in this world. We do. Yeah. Matts are great. Thanks to Scott Johnson. Also, also great. Can't forget oh. the Scots out there. Uh, Scott, what's been going on with you? Well, I'm going to put that on my gravestone. Also great. I'll put on there. Um, <laughs> hey, let me let me see if I can capture your uh, attention by sending you over to my website. Frogpants.com has everything you might want in the form of podcasts and art and comics and other cool stuff. Uh, if you are into that sort of thing, then buy gum. You're going to have a great time over there. So go check it out. That's frogpants.com. And you can also chat with me on Twitter. I'm over there at Scott Johnson. Excellent. We are live on this show Monday through Friday, 4.30 p.m. Eastern, 2030 UTC. Do check us out live if you can. More info at dailytechnewsshow.com slash live. And we're back at it tomorrow with Justin Robert Young. Talk to you then. This show is part of the Frog Pants Network. Get more at frogpants.com. You have enjoyed this program. <laughs> Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.